the corner of 17th and Pennsylvania, early, but the Starbucks across the street was already walled in by secretaries, interns, lobbyists, and hill rats. The air smelled of exhaust, perfume, latte, and fresh croissants. It was the end of summer, and the morning heat promised a scorching afternoon. Dan Lenson glanced at his watch as he paced along the black wrought iron fence. On the other side, camera crews were setting up satellite feeds on the putting green smoothness of the north lawn. His gray two-button suit felt loose, baggy after so many years of wearing a uniform. He straightened his back to ease what felt like high-voltage shocks shooting up his arms. The year before, he'd intercepted a nondescript trawler in the eastern Mediterranean. The nuclear weapon in its hold, intended for Israel, had instead detonated a mile away from his ship. He'd hoped for another command after USS Horn. Instead, an office in the Pentagon had called with an offer he'd thought hard about before accepting. He checked his Seiko again, early, as he was for everything, a habit that didn't drive his wife as nuts as it might since she was the same way. A woman holding a camera in one hand and a Doberman's leash in the other asked him to take her picture in front of the White House. Finally, it was time. He straightened his tie and went up to the gatehouse, tapped his ID on the little shelf. Yeah, grunted the guard. National Security Council staff, Dan said, reporting in for duty. I'll take him from here, Jonah Freed said. Commander, come on in. Freed, a CIA detailee, was the Defense Directorate Security Officer. He'd walked Dan through the nomination interviews and taken care of the special clearance for the White House duty, Yankee White, which was even more demanding than the top-secret compartmented clearance Dan already had from the Navy. They checked in again at a second post in the lobby of the old Executive Office Building. The gigantic pile of pillared granite was enclosed by the same wrought iron fence as the White House part of the 18 acres, the White House complex. It held the agencies that made up the executive office of the president, the National Security Council staff, the office of the vice president, management and budget, and so forth. The lobby smelled faintly of fresh manure. He wondered why, but decided not to ask. He followed his guide through cavernous corridors that receded to infinity. The building was much larger than it appeared from Pennsylvania Avenue, Grandly conceived nineteenth-century moldings arched overhead. The floor was a checkerboard of white marble and black limestone, all well-worn. Here and there fossils lay frozen, remnants of an age long past. Over them scurried hundreds of men and women, each intent on his or her fragment of the national security policy of the sole remaining superpower. Someone called from behind them. Okay, hold it right there. Who's tracking the damn dog shit all over the floor? He turned to see a disgusted janitor pointing at the tiles, at footprints traced in brown that ended at his feet. He lifted his shoe to examine the sole. Sorry, he told the man. Lady had a Doberman out front. Guess I wasn't looking. If you've got a mop, I'll take care of it. Never mind, mister. Just pay attention where you step next time, okay? Sorry, Dan told Freed. I wasn't looking where I was stepping, I guess. Don't worry about it, Freed said. There's paper towels in the restroom. With his shoes cleaned, they climbed a bronze-railed staircase to a cubbyhole admin office. Dan got a check-in list, 
he signed in-briefing sheets, signed for a safe combination, again for usernames and passwords for both high-side classified and low-side unclassified email networks, and yet again for a pager. Back to the first floor and a photo booth in the Secret Service office. That's a blue gold pass, Free told him as Dan adjusted it. The stainless steel chain felt heavier than it ought to around his neck. In a couple of weeks we'll get you one with two gold stars on it. That'll get you full access. Not to say you just stroll into the Oval Office, but if you're told to go, you're cleared in. Freed looked at his watch. Remember where your director's office is? Third floor? Dan said he thought so. Freed gave him the room number just to be sure, then vanished down one of those labyrinthine corridors. The first name on the check-in was General Garner Siebold. The senior director didn't have as large an office as Dan had expected. He supposed the 1600 Pennsylvania address made up for it. Siebold removed half-moon reading glasses as Dan came in. His eyes were pouchy. He had white, bristly hair. He wore a regimental-style tie and polished cordovan wingtips with a gray suit. The only military note around was a print of an Abrams tank charging through a sand berm as shells burst around it. Dan got a quick handshake and an invitation to sit. Siebold said to the admin assistant, "'Ask Brian Milehammer to come up.' To Dan, "'You said you were buying here, right?' "'We found a place in Arlington, closed last week.' The price had taken his breath away, but with Blair's salary added to his, and she made more than he did, they'd managed the payments. "'You're coming off sea duty, right? Remind me.' Commanded a sprue can. Seeing the general's blank response, he went generic. "'Ah, destroyer, sir. Interdiction operations in the Middle East.' "'Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I remember now.' Siebold looked at Dan's lapel. "'Don't wear your congressional?' Dan had pondered that question before the mirror that morning. The Medal of Honor came with a small blue bar with white stars that you could wear with a civilian suit. He'd held it at his breast, then left it on the dresser. It attracts too much attention, plus... I, I don't feel right wearing it. Or the Silver Star? The Navy Cross? Siebold had a file folder out now. He was turning pages. Dan didn't answer. As far as he was concerned... The ones who deserved the decorations were the guys and girls he'd served with, some of whom had never come home from Iraq and the Gulf and the Med. The general cleared his throat. What's your, uh, medical status? Recovering from injuries, sir. I'm approved for light duty. I've got you headed for the counter-drug office, director of interdiction. Dan blinked. Something wrong? Siebold said. I understood the billet was Director for Threat Reduction. Director, yes, but counter-narcotics, not threat reduction. Dan sat forward. They'd told him he'd be working to reduce the number of nuclear weapons in the states of the former Soviet Union and secure them against the kind of theft and misuse that had killed so many of Horn's crew. That was why he'd decided to take the job. He fought anger. Since Iraq, since being captured and tortured by Saddam's Muhabarat, he'd had to second-guess his emotional reactions. I don't understand. Does Ms. Clayton know about the change? The National Security Advisor signed off on it, Siebold said. He smiled, glancing at a wall clock. Dan got the message, but decided to push the button once more.
I was under the impression she wanted me in the threat reduction billet, my missile development background and the operational experience with loose nukes. I've got some ideas to get ahead of the curve instead of behind it. Let's get one thing straight, Commander. You're hired to the NSC staff. What you do when you get here is up to us, Seabold said. If it's that important to you, maybe I can get you some of the action on threat reduction. Maybe a seat on the Iraq working group. But we need to make things happen in counter-drug. Tony Holt wants this initiative pushed hard this fall. Holt was the White House chief of staff. Dan had heard him called the president's personal nut-cutter. It's a joint mission and a huge effort force-wise. Dan rubbed his mouth. Cutting down the number of nukes in the world ranked high on his list, but fighting the flood of illegal drugs was important, too. Orders change, Commander. Yes, sir. I know that, he said at last. I'll do my best. Siebold slapped the desk with eight fingers and rose. Mrs. C will be back in town tonight. Morning conference in the sit-room at ten hundred tomorrow. Take one of the wall seats. Introduce yourself when it's your turn, but keep it short. Yes, sir. Dan stood, too, as another man came in without knocking. Brian Milehammer. Brian's been here a long time, knows his way around the halls of power. Bry, your new boss, Dan Lenson, Siebold said. To Dan, he added, we go pretty much on a first-name basis around here. Milehammer was in a sport coat and a sloppily knotted tie. He looked to be at least ten years older than Dan and thirty pounds heavier. His shirt was pulled out from his slacks on one side. Siebold said Milehammer was civilian permanent staff and would be his...